You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibley, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's been trying to get in touch with you about your car's extended warranty. It's Mr. Jeff McLarge-Huge. Press one to speak to one of our operators. What's going on? How are you? Uh, I'm all right. It's one of those days, one of those weeks, I guess, one of those months. It's one of those, it's one of those 12, 12 months we have. Yeah, but I'm, I'm good. I had one of those instances the other day where where you just realize what an idiot you are. This this has been going on for as long as I basically as long as I've been like cognizant, all right? You ever get song lyrics wrong? <laughs> you know, like well, obvi- yes. obviously yeah, everybody gets song lyrics wrong. Like the big famous ones are like, you know, excuse me, will I kiss this guy from Jimi Hendrix and wrapped up like a douche yeah. in the middle <laughs> right, of the night. Right, right. Yeah. So a few months ago we were talking, I don't know if it was on the show or not, but we were talking about the one hit wonder from the eighties haircut 100. Remember that song? Love, Pl- love plus one. Love, love, love plus Fun. one. Yeah, I, I, whatever happened to that? Yeah, one? well, they were one-hit wonders. You know, they're just, that, that's, that's that's what happened to them. Nothing happened. That's what happened. That song came out in like 80, 81 or something like that. So that song came out like 40 years ago at a minimum. For 40 years, I've been doing it wrong. Because in the in the music video, they're kind of like in headhunter land. They're being like cooked in a big stew pot by by tribal people and stuff like that. It really doesn't. Makes sense with like the lyrics of the song, and the lyrics of the song never really made sense to me. Anyway, what the hell does "love plus one" mean, right? Right. right now, exactly. in the chorus, he says, and I thought he said, "Rain, rain, 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 love, love, love plus one." Right. Right. So I'm doing that whole album a day thing, right? And mm-hmm. I post the video or the you know the the music of it on my Instagram to document my album per day because that's the album I picked, I needed a one-hit wonder. And he's right. not saying rain. He's saying ring. And love plus one is a telephone number. Oh. He, okay, that doesn't make any sense at all, but okay. <laughs> it, that would be it like... Makes if, way more sense than rain, rain, rain. <laughs> he's calling the girl on the phone, and it's ring, ring, right. and the phone's ringing, and her phone number is right. love plus one. Like, you know, type in L-O-V-E on the phone, and then the number one. That's her phone number. Right, right. Yes, I, I get that. But it, it only makes sense if you understand, like, the British phone number system of 1980, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I don't. Like, that would be like, you know, if we went to, I'm sure that Jenny yeah. Jenny uh, by Tommy Two-Tone, 8675309 made any sense. And they just must have just thought it was a random bunch of numbers. Like, what the hell is that? You know? What, what is that? Have you watched, like, old TV programs that it's like, oh, what's your phone number? All right, you're going to get me. Call me at Klondike962. It's like, what the, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> I can tell you why those work, but I don't understand the love plus one. Wait, one. so you can so. wait. Hold on a second. You understand Klondike five six two, but you don't understand love plus one. Yep. <laughs> and it's and, okay. So let me tell you what I can tell you how they work. So when humans used to have to hand switch telephone yep. calls, when you picked up the phone and you dialed an operator, yep. before there were automatic switches, yep. right? You're you're gonna dial either you're gonna pick up the phone and say Klondike. 2563 and the operator is going to go okay Klondike is K on the yep. board and then 2563 is the port that they're going to stick the phone cord into to connect okay. you okay from whatever your phone cord is when you dial an automatic switching system and you dial Klondike KL4162 you're going to dial the number that represents K on that number the the letter pad that's around mm-hmm. the numbers on a rotary dial phone so you're going to dial like KL and then 4562 okay 
And then that will switch to line K, and then it'll go to port 4562 and plug right, in Now, let me make you feel as dumb as I did whenever I found out the song was saying ring and not rain. <laughs> okay. Dial on the touchpad L-O-V-E and then the number one. Right. I wouldn't have ever figured that out because I, I don't understand the phone system. Even with it says ring, 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 ring. I mean, I'm thinking, dude, I, I have to go by the video. I don't have uh, the record. Yeah. And in that yeah. video, they're just hanging and swinging oh, from exactly. vines yeah. and jumping yeah, around. Was, it's co- completely baffling. No, I thought I got hit on the yeah, head. The there first is time no I context whatsoever to let you know that no, he's dialing no, a it, phone. Like right? if that if that little shirtless blonde dude had like held up a phone, maybe yeah. in the video, but he doesn't ever do that. He just swings <laughs> like Tarzan. Speaking of British, I have my award-winning and always very well-received trivia question. This one kind of took me by surprise. Our good friend, Prince Charles, what's his last name? Or should I say, what's his surname? His surname. Yeah, what is Prince Charles' surname? Sir Loin of <laughs> No, no, no. No, uh, it's not, not S-I-R. S-U-R. Uh, <laughs> surname. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. The Duke of... Like, my uh, surname is with an old... With an old your surname is McLargehuge. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm going to say that it's, it's Windsor. I'm pretty sure they're the house of That Windsor. is a strong and incorrect guess. Ah, uh, Shinola. I will give you the answer at the end of the show, but this is the week beginning November the 8th, and I believe it is your turn to start. It is indeed my turn to start. And we will begin on November 8th, 1910, where a, a ingenious gentleman named William H. Frost, also a masochist who hates bugs, <laughs> receives the first U.S. patent for an electrical insect destroyer. So effectively what he did was he created the bug zapper lamp. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've ever spent time hanging around near a bug zapper lamp, but they are endlessly entertaining, especially if you hate mosquitoes <laughs> and moths. My friend, whenever he would see, like, I can't say rednecks, but, like, localized rednecks, if you if you know what I mean. We used to work at a, at a gas station that was, like, right on the city border. So we would get, like, the what we call bubbies, which were the rednecks for the next yeah. town over. Whenever they would come in, my friend would just go, bzz, bzz, which is the noise <laughs> the bug zapper makes because they, cause they all have the yeah. bug zappers on the porches of their trailer homes and stuff. Yep, yep. They're still around, but they're, it turns out that having just an open circuit is expensive. Yeah. Uh, one, electricity is expensive. So having them on is it's like a double-edged sword. One, you get the entertainment of watching, you know, electric yes. death. But it also draws a bunch of mosquitoes around to kind of where right. you are. And the mosquitoes are way more interested in the carbon dioxide coming out of your mouth than they are in the black light that's going to attract them to certain doom. But they are still interesting. There's a lot more like mosquito control things out there now that are different right. than that. That was the first like really popular one that people... I remember those things from when I was right, little. Yeah. You know, they've been around since... What year did I say? 1910. Yeah. So going back a long ways. Just think though, like we had only been putting electric light bulbs in residences since like 1897. So we went from 13 years for, look at how beautiful our house is lit up. Kill something how can I use this to murder yeah. moths? <laughs> and then they have those like portable ones there that kind of shape like a tennis racket that yeah. you could just like swing and hit the moths or the flies or whatever with. You know, in case yes. you want that whole work ethic involved in killing shit. <laughs> I call that the special nephew entertainment yep. device. Like he's in those extra good classes. Here you go, son. <laughs> <laughs> go entertain yourself on the porch. Moving on to uh, November the 9th, speaking of electric death, (laughs) November the 9th, 1984, Wes Craven's masterpiece, Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one, opens in theaters, yeah. Ah, everybody's first glimpse of Johnny Depp. Yeah, absolutely, right. And uh, John Saxon. And that girl. (laughs) Heather Heather Lagenkamp. Oh my God, I can't believe I pulled that name directly out of my... Electric yeah, that's zapper. not who I was looking for, uh, though. I was looking for the other girl there. She was in Better Off Dead, and she was also in oh, Shock Mom. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she was, uh, she was yeah, Beth. Yeah, Beth uh, in Better Off Dead. Yeah, she was oh, She sorry. was the, the first girl to be killed uh, by Freddy Krueger, or Fr- Fred Krueger right. at that point, in The yes. Nightmare on Elm Street. That first one is still, you know, monumentally awesome and scary, and it's such a good and unique, you know, story and all that. As the series went on, it got kind of watered down, and Freddy got used for laughs and stuff like that. But that first one is just right. really, it's its what a horror well, movie should be. 
Yeah, I, I think it was groundbreaking in that they let the antagonist, that's you know Freddy Krueger, sort of interact with the cast in a way that just wasn't just poking their head out and stabbing through somebody right. or being like a silent murderer. Right, cause, yeah, because he, you know? he talked and, and f***ed with them, yeah. Yeah, he talked and he messed around with them and he bent the nature of reality and it changed the whole set of rules that the characters had to try and navigate so that they could stay alive. And all of that was really groundbreaking, I think, for 80s horror, not just for that film, but like all the films that followed it. You look at stuff like Candyman or The Cell and others that all have these ornate rule sets that the characters end up finding themselves having right. to deal with and antagonists that mess around with them and interact with them. Even the Saw films are like that. And it really kind of got its start in 84. It's like, I like to think of the first Nightmare on Elm Street as like the first like really, really 80s modern horror film. And it's like a slasher, but it's not a slasher, you know? Yep. I mean, there's slashing yep. going on, but it's more of a, a psychological thing. And what a scary concept, you know, because you have to sleep. You have to sleep at some point. Right. There's, uh, if there's a thing there, if you go without food, water, or sleep, you'll die of lack of sleep before you die of lack of food or water. Right. So, yeah. Everybody hates, <laughs> like it's universally panned, everybody hates the Nightmare on Elm Street remake that they did with Jackie Earl Haley. Uh, playing Fred Krueger, and it's not great, but let me sell it to you this way. The one really great thing about that movie, you have to watch it in surround sound because whenever Fred Krueger talks, his voice comes from every direction. It's omnidirectional, so it's like he's inside your head. The only saving grace of that remake is that, and it's actually really, really cool. Oh, well, um, I only have one working ear, so there's no such thing as surround sound for me okay, anymore. Well, that was, that was uh. you as a plural. <laughs> you mean the royal we? Yes, yes I understand that. <laughs> so, yeah, you um, would hate that movie because would, there's, nothing, there's nothing for you to, to grab onto there. It's weird. Like, all of uh, Jackie or Haley's voice only comes out of one speaker. <laughs> That's the strangest thing. It's like he's always on your right side. <laughs> and your left side, he sounds like... <laughs> yeah, just... It's really... So he's like the tinnitus killer. <laughs> All right, so what do we got for the 10th? For, uh, for the 10th, 1969, the TV show Sesame Street premieres on the actually relatively new public broadcasting system, or PBS TV. Basically becomes our generation... Generation X's babysitter. Yeah. Yeah, and I was just going to say that my mom pretty much was like, oh, well, that's where Jeff's going to get all of his social skills and spelling and numbers from. Right. And that popped me right in front of it. And boy, did I learn a lot. I learned the Manamana song. <laughs> I learned 10 banana cream pies. I learned a lot of stuff in base 12 for whatever reason. <laughs> and apparently I learned how to mourn dead people because I remember watching the one where Mr. Hooper died. Yeah, um, I remember that. As a kid and being like, sad. oh, wow. I mean, Sesame Street introduced the world to the Muppets. It made the Jim Henson Corporation ultimately down the road happen. And going from something that was designed by the Children's Television Workshop as a an educational program that did more than just entertain kids like a cartoon show would and wasn't didn't pander to them the way that educational TV tended to in late 1960s, early 1970s. Yeah, like the ding-dong school and stuff, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think about that show compared to like Romper Room. Same audience. Yep demographic right. like two to five year olds romper room is like let's watch johnny play with the crayon <laughs> and johnny's like i'm making a circle meanwhile sesame street had the Manamana song and other yeah. stuff uh my mom used to tell me this story that they all thought that i was going to be a prodigy because because of sesame street i had letter recognition basically before i knew how to walk like i could pick up blocks that had the letters on them and say what the letter was on it before my first birthday. And they were like, oh my God, this kid's going to be a doctor. And, you know, now I, I, host, I host a podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, that didn't really pan out as well as they thought it was going to pan out. But uh, Sesame Street still around today, no longer on PBS. It's on HBO now. The Muppets are owned by Disney. Uh, well, I mean, Jim Henson left us, you know, a long time ago, like over 30 years now, I think. Yeah. And uh, I've actually been going back and watching the original Muppet show on Disney Plus, and I'm having a real good time with it. It's uh, it's funny, like timelessly funny. It's really strange, like because the Muppets are so timeless, but the celebrities that they have are not. 
<laughs> yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. Like, I'm sure, you know, people are like, who the hell is Ethel Merman? Yeah. You know? And well, they had this guy on yesterday, and I was like, they they said his name. It's like Avery something. I was like, who's oh, that? Avery, Avery Shriver. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, was like, who's, right? who's that? Right? And then I, they show his picture. I was like, oh, that guy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, he was like, and that was before he was most likely known to being in like Doritos commercials because he, I think he made a couple of movies. He was in Galaxina with Dorothy Stratton. That was the last time I think he was in anything that was a feature. And then he was a staple in commercials in the early 80s. So yeah. it was weird to see him on that show. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. He was a funny guy, though. So. Oh, yeah, he definitely was. All right, moving on to the 11th. On November the 11th of 1988, <laughs> The world's loudest scream is recorded. A guy by the name of Simon Robinson of South Australia screams at 128 decibels. Oh, that's loud. That is loud. That's They say right here, it's just about as loud as a jet aircraft. Yeah, from, an unmuffled jet engine. Woo. Yeah, from 50 feet away. Uh, that's loud. Now, the previous record holder was my grandmother because <laughs> <laughs> my, my father was like, funny family story. My father was like almost 12 pounds when he was born, mm-hmm. and he was born at home. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the scream heard around the world. Do, do I get a spinal? No. <laughs> what do you have for anesthetics? You're going to need to ice that afterwards, you're gonna, right? You're, right. You're going you're gonna to want to try and hold your breath a little bit. Um, <laughs> I tell you, my daughter, when she was, I, I want to say she was four four or five, I took her and her brother dressed as Jedi, which meant the karate uniforms that my mom had made for both of them and their um, brown bathrobes and lightsabers and hair and braids and took them to Grant State Comic Con. And while we were walking around there, one of the things that they had going on was a a scream contest. So every couple of minutes you'd hear like, ah! And then the guy would be like, oh my God, that was 90 decibels. Woo, that was really loud. That's, you know. So we're working our way down and in between these screams... We're like 15 feet minimum away from this microphone. Uh-huh. And there's a kid standing there getting ready to scream. And Meg just lets one out. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard something that's so loud that makes the air vibrate. <laughs> and it, like, I'm not even kidding. Like, it was like, it like blurred my vision. It had a shockwave. It had a shockwave. She's like freaking Black Canary. Every single person in this giant room stopped <laughs> and just spun around and looked. And there's Meg at like, you know, two foot nine. <laughs> smiling like a little angel you know, with her lightsaber. And the guy who was hosting the contest, he goes, what was that? Did that come out of you? That was 102 decibels. And she's like, yeah, it was me. And he goes, could you do that again? So <laughs> she couldn't She couldn't get it that loud the second time. But it was crazy. Like everybody was looking at her and laughing because it was so loud. I was waiting for you to say that they called child services on you. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Well, I, I mean, I used to joke that when she was a baby baby that that was going to happen because – because she would just lay in her bassinet and scream like I had put her down for a nap in a in a nest full of spiders and scorpions and snakes and fire. She asked for a bug zapper for Christmas. Yeah, right, exactly. Yes. <laughs> and then hugged it. Uh. <laughs> All right, moving on to the 12th. November 12th, 2016, uh, Asian actor and institution Jackie Chan is awarded an honorary Oscar for his film achievements at the 8th Annual Governor's Award Ceremony. So... It doesn't sound like a big deal, but for Asian actors who sp- almost exclusively make their films in Hong Kong to be recognized by the Academy is a big deal. Right. And Jackie Chan's output is ginormous. Yes. He's made, a pr- he's like, he's pretty much made every movie. I'm going to put that <laughs> out there. That's how many movies he's in. He's in a, it's, yes. How many movies is he in? All of them. Right. He's in all of IMDb. I don't even know how old he is. He started making movies like in the, in the, 70s in the in the in the shadow of Bruce Lee after Bruce Lee died he was in Fist of Fury as an extra in the years after that he did like the new Bruce Lee type stuff that all the Shaw Brothers films were doing and then had his own stunt company had his own film company made his own films did his own writing did some music dance videos other crazy stuff video games cartoons whatever and as he's gotten older he still does a bunch of his own stunts but not nowhere near as many because I think he's pushing like 70 now yeah he is 67 yeah, so, you know, the jumping from a, a speeding diesel train to the back of a truck to dragging behind the truck holding just an, an umbrella. He probably doesn't do that anymore. Yeah, you got to reel it in after a while, right? right yeah, after a while, right? Because it's, it, uh, it's pretty much his whole body is nothing but stainless steel pins and bone powder. Um, 
Well, they probably told him because after he hit 65 that he's not going to be able to, you know, collect Medicare if he's going to be acting like that. Well, it's funny because, like, you know, to be an actor, to make films, you have to have insurance if you're your own film company. Right. He couldn't get insured by Lloyd's of London, which is the insurance company that insures, like, anybody. Right. He couldn't get insured. They're like, no, we've seen your movies, dude. <laughs> we No way. You know, if it's like if, if Harold Lloyd had been killed making a film, that would just be the average everyday Jackie Chan movie. Right. Um, but his, he's gone on to do like some sort of straight drama with action involved and historical pieces. He's done directing and, and other stuff. And, and he's always been a, like a favorite of mine since I really understood who he was. And the very first film I ever saw him in was one of the first films he made in the United States in the 1980s. He had two tries at the U.S. market. Uh-huh. One was a movie called The Big Brawl. And it was terrible. And, <laughs> but he was in it and he was interesting in it. And then the next one was called The Protector, which was worse and sucked. And let's so, not forget Cannonball Run. Cannonball Run, right? And that was after that was after the Protector. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. They took one of his movies from Hong Kong, and then like redubbed it and retitled it and released it in America called uh, right. Rumble in the Bronx. Right. And I I, was... t- I talked about going to see that one in the theater. Right, and that was the first of his real Hong Kong films mm-hmm. that received a wide release in the United States. I mean, if you had a Chinatown in your city or the capital, like there was a Chinatown in Boston, I went to see a Jackie Chan movie there mm-hmm. in Chinese. <laughs> I didn't, couldn't understand anything, but I, you don't really have to. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not there for the dialogue. Right. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. I don't have to know what they're talking about because in four seconds, they're going to be jumping off a skyscraper. They're going to be throwing <laughs> wrenches at one another. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. But uh, yeah, amazing dude. So uh, moving on. November the 13th, 1940, uh, Disney releases their musical fantasy opus Fantasia. Yep, and it opened and people were like, what the hell is this? It's gone on to become a recognized classic, but when it first came out, people were like, what? This is a baffling experience. Right, I remember the um, local theater called the Zyterian at one point before it became this uh, theater that it is now it operated as a movie theater for many yeah. years yep. and i remember being brought there on a field trip with my school to see fantasia on the big screen wow you know the first half of that movie is not really all that interesting for little kids we were all kind of fidgeting in our seats and then the yeah. hip the hippo started dancing right. and, and then we're like you know can, can we get to freaking mickey mouse already you know right. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, the Sorcerer's Apprentice scene happens. And then, you know, this is like early 80s. So we're just at the beginning of your and my favorite uh, topic, the Satanic Panic. And I went to Catholic school. So right. Satanic Panic, was that was part of the curriculum. And then there's that nightmare sequence at the end of Fantasia with all the demons and shit. Yeah, Night on Bald Mountain. Yeah, yeah. that was awesome. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. awesome now, but we weren't doing well as kids. Yeah, I didn't see that one as a little kid. I, I only saw that one once it eventually was released on VHS and I was already in my late teens. All right. Um, and I appreciate a lot of it. Like, there's a lot of fun stuff in there with the 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 orchestra yep. sort of introduction that's like, this is the way the musical notes work and stuff, and then it goes into the different pieces of music and styles. I still think The Sorcerer's Apprentice is the best piece in that whole film. Yeah. Because it's the one that has a beginning, middle, and end. Um, the other ones are, are less so, right? And it's an iconic. Um, it's an iconic look for Mickey too. You still yeah. see, you know, the the sorcerer's robe all over Disney World, right? You know, and if you remember elementary school, bringing home mimeographed sheets that said, "Don't let your children take any stamps that have this Mickey Mouse and the sorcerer's <laughs> robe on them," like people were just handing out acid to elementary school yeah, kids. That's, but that's definitely one thing that I learned. <laughs> I've never really dabbled in drugs. Uh, but yeah. that's one thing I've learned as an adult is nobody gives that away. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right. Not in yeah. mass, anyway. No. You know? no. Well, it does make me like, hey, uh, do you have any stamps? Yeah, why? And I take one and go put it on a line. I look at it closely before I lick it. Yeah. But like that's a, that's literally a fallback to that. Like, I don't know if the person who I know that's handing me a stamp to put on a letter that I just wrote that they were watching me yeah. write. They were called. going to give me an acid stamp. Yeah, the lick em, stick em tattoos with Mickey Mouse on it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, Fantasia. Yeah. That probably would have been way super enjoyable on acid now that I think about it. But. Possibly. I, uh, I, I cannot confirm nor deny. <laughs> but moving on to the 14th, what do we got? Speaking of uh, fantastical stuff that was 
received a raised eyebrow when it was released initially as uh, 1991 uh, 1991 Michael Jackson's black or white video premieres on Fox TV it's a big deal because it doesn't premiere on MTV right it premieres on Fox and it premieres right after the the um the show in living color so like they pitch it for like two weeks that it's going to be on and I remember watching it I was working in my parents restaurant at the time and we had Fox on in the afternoon in the evening on Sunday nights and I remember watching it and I was like what a this is amazing the technology for the morphing faces it's we see that stuff all the time now but it had never been done before yeah where they did the interpolation between like one face and the next and had people that were moving and and it was amazing and the song was really groundbreaking and it was really really good and then <laughs> the video just kept on going and then it got really weirdly surreal and violent. Yes. <laughs> and it was like, I don't know if you remember, it was like a 15-minute video. Yeah. yeah, it turned into like an art piece that like Pete Townsend would really be appreciative of. Uh, right, right. And I, you know, I remember seeing that premiere and Michael Jackson was just absolutely enormous. Like... I, I hate using this phrase, but the kids these days don't really get a grip for how big it was because I've never been a big Michael Jackson fan. And I never really liked the show in Living Color. But I remember watching that premiere video because yep. it was it was it was an event. It was something, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to do that now the way TV sort of works, but right. it was a big deal. And yeah, you do kids today, kids today, yeah. they do not understand that he could like, he could do a world tour and sell out every single stadium in every country he went to right. for three nights in a row. And people would be fainting and screaming and throwing things on stage and and just going out of their minds for him. So, And then they cut the whole end of that video off. Shoof, like with a samurai sword. Yeah. Whenever it <laughs> and was then on, it played endlessly on MTV. Yeah. When it was on MTV, I think I remember seeing the, Help! you know, crashing and breaking yeah. every cars and all that stuff. I think I remember seeing that like a couple of times. But yeah, after, after a while, MTV was like, you know, eh, there's a huge drop off point right after the Morphe parts. Right. Yep. And it was one of those like, hey, you know, I, we were with you with Thriller, <laughs> like the zombie dance. Then the it's like a movie, and and it, it like all held together, and it had like that cool ending, and yeah. And, but this was just you bashing a car. Yeah, I could do that. Ten minutes, like what the hell is the point? And we're gonna show a close up of a bug zapper for half an hour. <laughs> let me let me say this, and I like Childish Gambino. I think this is America is an amazing piece of art, yeah. right? That springs directly from the loins of the black and white video. Michael Jackson is in a slightly clumsier and more poppy way is saying is sort of commenting on the same the same situation that African Americans I think face in the United States or race relations are like in the United States and he's able to do it in that video, and it was controversial for that reason the same way that Childish Gambino was controversial for the This Is America song, but that's unfortunately that's kind of lost because everyone was much more enamored with the morphing video technology. Such that it was pretty much used in every single entertainment device from that minute forward, right? Until like five years ago. And Michael Jackson at that time was about as safe as safe could be. Yep. You know, it, there was no controversy with Michael Jackson. He was just your, your mom liked him, your grandma liked. He was just nice. He was a nice guy. You know, you felt you, you were jealous of like Elvis's daughter for being married to yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were jealous of Bubbles for being his monkey. Um, <laughs> all right, so uh, let's get on to the celebrity birthdays. Another person that had a trajectory of upwards at 45 degrees and then didn't. Uh, so uh, November the 8th, 1975, your friend and mine, Tara Reed. Hey, I remember her from American Pie with all those other actors who aren't doing stuff. Yeah, who are yeah, right no longer doing anything, right, yeah. At least not that I've seen. Yeah, yeah, they everybody in that movie. You're right. Nobody's really done anything. We'll be bringing up Justin Briggs uh, later on. Uh, but anyway, uh, Tara Reid. She was yeah, an American Pie. She started off strong. She was in that uh, the Big Lebowski, and Josie and the Pussycats. Yep, and Van Wilder, and then yeah, she became like a tabloid personality for a while. Yeah, she and... ended up be, uh, be basically being famous for being a mess. 
there was one famous thing. She was like on a New Year's Eve special, and she was just hammered. Yeah, hammered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Like, um, can I call you a cab or an ambulance or whatever? Yeah. Yes. Uh, you can call me a cab. Okay, you're a cab. <laughs> I'm a cab. Yeah, uh, she was a mess. Yeah, more recently she's done, I think she's in a couple of the Sharknado movies, I think. It looks like she's been active. It's just that her... It's not. They're not high-profile projects anymore. Right. Like she's not doing stuff that gets a theatrical release. She's getting stuff that, you know, shows up on Sci-Fi or direct to Netflix or Hulu or whatever. But there's a lot of there's a lot of actors and actresses who are doing that. Right. That that seemed to be popular at the same time she was. And I, I mean, we're we're sort of joking about American Pies. Nobody's nobody's doing any more work. Right. But like, yeah, all of those people are in all of those kind of projects. Right. So. Well, yeah, that's yeah. the new medium. I mean, yeah, big theatrical releases is kind of not really a thing anymore. Right. That being said, Tara Reid has done some stuff. She's in The Boys, which is a very popular series yeah. on Prime. Yep. That uh, It's unfortunate that she's more famous for her being infamous, I guess. And I think it's only with a small subset of people that remember that, like that are our age. Yeah. Because my kids are like, who? Yeah, ex- exactly. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> American what? <laughs> nah, never mind. You, you never don't want to know. All right. So let me jump to November 9th. November 9th, uh, 1945, character actor Charlie Robinson hey. is born. Bill knows who Charlie Robinson is because he is from Bill's favorite sitcom. That's right. We just brought up Marky Post uh, last week or the week before. Charlie Robinson played Matt, the court clerk on Night Court. Yes. Yep. He's, 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 he was clerking courts, and he, was in a, he showed up in a whole bunch of like TV stuff. He was the guy that would be like, Charlie Robinson was one of the guests on like The Love Boat or Fantasy Island or, or both, yeah. Or he has a bit part in like The A Team and sometimes in, you know, T.J. Hooker. Yeah, um, uncredited, so, yeah. So, uncredited. <laughs> Man with hat in T.J. <laughs> so, but he was on, yeah, he was on Night Court for the whole run. He's a yep. very, very funny guy. I like, I like the, I like Charlie Robinson. I like Mac. I like that. that. I like I like Night Court. You know me. That that show had a had a really well put together cast. Yes. All right. So moving on to November the tenth, nineteen fifty six, uh, star of the movie Shazam, Sinbad. <laughs> There's no Shazam movie. Right. Sinbad. Nobody knew really knew who he was. Uh, up at the, you know, well, I mean, we did Generation X did, but like nobody from the millennials or whatever knew who he was until he became the subject of the Mandela effect. Um, yeah, one of the Mandela effects. Yeah, everybody seemed to remember him doing a movie called Shazam, and he didn't. He never did. Nope. There was a movie called Kazam with right. with. Shaq. With uh, Shaquille O'Neal, but yes. yeah, Sinbad, but people seem to have this false memory of it existing, yeah. Yeah, and I think the false memories from it, I mean, I remember the box for Kazam, and it was Shaq and Kazam, and Kazam was all sort of crooked, so mentally when you're sort of trying to remember what things look like, it just jams the two of them together, and it's like, Shaq doesn't look anything like Sinbad, and Sinbad looks nothing like Shaq. But I guess I can understand you know. the Shazam part, but not the Sinbad part. I just yeah. I remember Sinbad actually won Star Search, the comedian, right. the comedian special. It came down yep. to him and Dennis Miller, and Sinbad yep. won. And Dennis Miller never let that go. And um, <laughs> what was really funny was when my brother and I drove cross country. We stayed in Las Vegas for a couple of days, then we were over in Los Angeles, and then when we looped around to come back, we drove through Reno. And at the casino in Reno, Sinbad was the headliner. And it just looked really? so funny, just like, Sinbad, out in the middle of Reno, Nevada, yeah. Yeah, he, <laughs> had, a, he had a show on Fox for a while, a sitcom that ran for, I don't know, like four years, three or four years? Did he? Yeah, yeah, yep. He had some bit, not bit parts, but he had some parts and other stuff and never really had that, like, film career. Right. You know, but did a bunch of TV. And it's I guess it's good that he's still out there. Doing his Sinbad best. I remember him doing a couple of specials on HBO or Showtime too. Back I'm, in the I'm 90s. looking at his wiki right now. He's got a net worth of five million, which is approximately five million more than what I'm worth. So right, exactly. <laughs> All right, moving on to the 11th, November 11th, 1922. Uh, one of my favorite authors, a guy named Kurt Vonnegut Jr., is born. He's born in Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, wrote Slaughterhouse Five. The Breakfast of Champions, uh, Bluebeard, among others, Jailbird and stuff, uh, Cat's Cradle, was always sort of pigeonholed into 
a science fiction writer. I'm saying that with air quotes. But his, his writing tends to span sort of the human experience. And his later years and after his death, his work has been awfully reevaluated as literature as opposed to just science fiction stories. And it's, um, he's got my favorite cameo of all time. Oh, that's right. In, in Back, Back to, school. to School. Let me tell you right. something, Vonnegut. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stop. I'm, I'm canceling the check. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's so funny. Yep. He's referenced a lot in a lot of movies, too, because that other movie that I talk about sometimes, Can't Hardly Wait, Yeah. they reference him in that, too. The, the main character is going to do, like, a workshop with Kurt Vonnegut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's like, Yeah, he used to do he used to be a writing teacher and as well. He owned a Saab dealership out on the Cape. Oh, did he? For a, for a few years, yeah. Oh, no kidding. He lived out on the he lived out on the Cape for like, I don't know, a couple of decades in his later years and stuff. I did not know that. Yep. Interesting dude. Super super good writer. Uh another uh super duper influential artist, November the 12th of 1840, Auguste Rodin, who is the sculptor and you would know his work of The Thinker, ah, which uh, my mom always thought it looked like somebody going to the bathroom. The toilet, yeah, yes. yeah. My mom was eloquent as, uh, as nothing, yeah. <laughs> what I want to know yeah. is how did Rodan make such beautiful sculptures with those massive wings? <laughs> That's what I want to know. And with the planes that were chasing him around all the time, it must have been so hard to find a studio big enough. Yeah, with Godzilla kicking his ass. Oh, sick. <laughs> He's constantly being called out to fight Ghidra. And geez, Louise, yeah. two little fairies singing songs all the time around him to try and get him to do stuff. He has a really cool quote, too. This is, this is so pretentious. Listen to this. Uh, it's pretentious, but it's cool. Uh, so when modern photography, it proved that when a horses gallop, that they actually leave the ground, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, they did that experiment there with a the series of pictures. Yeah. So whenever the photography proved that horses didn't gallop in the manner that artists often showed them, he, uh, our friend over here, August, uh, responds. He says, it's the artist who is truthful and the photography which lies. For in reality, time does not stop. Right. That's like... That's that's a good quote. Beautiful. Kind of that is a good quote. Kind of dicky too, but that's actually a very very cool quote from the from the arty side of things. That is definitely. I like that. Yeah. That's a that's a good piece. Yes. All right. Next up, November thirteenth, nineteen thirty-two. Character actor Richard Mulligan, oh. uh, who was on another of your favorite uh, TV shows, uh, the sitcom slash soap opera called Soap. Yeah, you would make an argument on which one is my favorite sitcom of all time, Night Court or Soap. And Richard Mulligan played Bert on Soap. And he was in a few other things, too. He was in a show called Empty Nest. Yep. And he was in a really weird Blake Edwards film Edwards called movie, yeah. SOB. SOB. Yeah. Uh, very funny guy. Very. He had a, a very distinct uh, vocal pattern when he talked. He almost had like a, a stammer that was like comedic you know he'd be like like he wasn't stammering or stuttering because he had a speech impediment it's more like he was very excited like john lithgow does the same thing and uh he was always like that he was goofy yes i don't know how else to describe the way that he the characters he played like on soap his character bert was abducted by aliens right if i remember that show properly and he was the perfect character for the perfect actor for that part who was just just outside and disconnected from the reality that was going on around him right and that seemed to be the where his sort of, I don't know, where his milieu was. That's where he seemed most comfortable in his acting. Right. Soap was a groundbreaking show. They tackled a lot of controversial subjects with heart, but with humor as well. Bert was mentally ill. They kind of tackled that subject. And Richard Mulligan did a perfect job of playing somebody who was just slightly detached from reality. You know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah. All right. So wrapping it up on November the 14th, Patrick Warburton, born in 1964. You would know his his voice basically enters the room before he does. Uh, <laughs> yes. You would definitely recognize the guy. He does the voice for Joe on Family Guy. He also mm-hmm. was the Tick on the first of the live action Tick right. interpretations. Yep, he was. And he also does the voice of uh, Brock Sampson on the Venture Brothers, the TV show that's kind of been running since 2005. Yes. And a big part of that show. He was a principal character. One of my favorite voice actors, too. I used to have this video game where you played Texas Hold'em, 
mm-hmm. and the people you played against, there was uh, Brock from Venture Brothers, and there was also Claptrap from Borderlands, and there was a couple of other like nice. across media, but it was really funny because they would all talk to you and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And like I said, that guy's voice enters the room uh, long before he does. He was way under undervalued in the first that first, that one season of The Tick that aired. Yes, he, uh, they, it was he was very well cast to play The Tick. He was very well cast indeed, yeah. and I still still quote that show. Now okay. he's got this like big booming voice, and one person that definitely does not have a big booming voice is the vocalist for this week's <laughs> worst song ever. All right, so we have several different categories that we explore regularly with the worst song ever. We have, you know, just weird and quirky and unusual songs that we actually end up liking. We have songs that we have no idea why they were famous in the first place and this, that, and the other. And I think I'm going to kind of like put a new category for this week's called I Was Wrong. Huh. Okay. Yeah, uh, this week's worst song ever is a song called Teenage Dirtbag by a band, a band, you know, parentheses, question mark, called Weedus, which is, yeah, Weedus just basically centers around the front, you know, the front singer and songwriter, Mm -hmm. uh, Brendan B. Brown, or more commonly known as BBB to the fans. So, yeah, this song, Teenage Dirtbag, you know this song? You're familiar with this? I was not familiar with this song at all until you played it for me and yeah. linked me to it. And then I was like, oh, I think I've heard this over the end credits of a movie. Yeah. And you because, said exactly. Yeah, because because <laughs> you've, you've watched movies before, and right. this song is used in a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was in New York City, they were actually filming the movie Loser, which uh, where the song, one of the movies this song appears in, and uh, with uh, which stars two people. From American Pie. Jason Briggs, I think, the actor. and Jason Biggs. And yeah. Jason Biggs and is it Mina Savari? Yep, Mina Savari. Yeah, yep. they're both in the movie Loser, right. So anyway, getting back to the song. I, I don't like this song. I think it's it's silly. And, well, hold on. Let's just, let's just play the clip. Because I'm just a teenage Research for this song. Whenever they brought the uh, the song to like the the record company and stuff like that, one of the guys were, uh, or one of the executives were like, "Yeah, can you record that over and sing like uh, like a guy?" Because they thought that the guy's vocals sounded too much like a girl. Yeah, they they're definitely a pop punk band, and they definitely sound like at least this song sounds like it was recorded in between nineteen like ninety. Five or so in two thousand five. Yes, um, Ex- almost exactly so it's, it's, in the middle, nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, and, and it it sounds like nine million other songs that there was this bloom of on slash alternative radio, mm-hmm. and then they all just went and disappeared. So like these guys in the Bowling for Soup, I think, is a contemporary of theirs. Who again, I I couldn't pick out of a hat, but I've heard I hear the songs and I'm like, I know that song. I've heard that song before. Right. So Weedus is sort of like that with me. I it's not doesn't fall into the big melting pot of music that I typically listen to. But punk pop was like ska. Like there was a short time where it was all over the place yeah. and then it kind of vanished. So uh, when I'm, you know, I'm doing the research for the song, whenever he brought the song to like the producers, I mean, because, you know, songs start off very simple. It starts off with the dude and an acoustic guitar. So whenever he brought it to the producers, he was like, you know, I want it to be heavy. You know, and I wanted to be like like James Taylor's Fire and Rain at the same time, but with like a hip hop beat. And now that sounds like a lot until you think about it. And like that was a lot of 90s <laughs> pop rock. Yes. All had that yes. kind of like the acoustic guitar, heavy at points. And it had, you know, 
a mixture of different hip hop beats. Right. Uh, so, or in, in the case of like some of their other songs, like actual rap added to it or, yes. or as part of the song. Right. So the now you're saying, all right, Bill, it doesn't sound like you're wrong. It sounds like this song sucks and you're standing behind your guns. And I am. I still don't like this song. However, I have a different view of it after doing the research of it because our friend BBB over here is, you know, he's about our age, maybe a little bit younger. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't think he's much more than 10 years younger than us. And he was into metal like we all were in the 80s, you know. And, uh, you know, some more than others. And he was walking around and he was wearing an ACDC shirt. And it was like right after, I think it was like this incident like me. Remember I told the story where I wore an Alice Cooper shirt right after Geraldo Rivera's satanic special? Yes. Same thing happened to him. And, you know, they just like bullet holed him as being like a Satanist because I don't think it was the Geraldo special for him. I think there was actually like a crime that had occurred. And they just kind of like, oh, you're one of those teenage dirtbags. And that's kind of like what the song is about. You don't really get mm-hmm. you don't really get that vibe because it was because it was so locked in with the video right. uh, showing scenes from the movie Loser. So it, the, it, the video definitely tells a different narrative than what the song was trying to say, you know? Right. Well, I mean, the song wasn't written for the movie, so it's, I mean, it makes sense that it would differ. But I, I will say, again, I don't have a lot of experience with this band, at least not conscious experience. Right. I, I will say that I can see why it might drive people away. Like, Brandon Brown's voice is very distinctive. It's very, very, very much like Alvin and the Chipmunks. And I don't mean that as a, I'm not being facetious. Like, his voice is very, very high. No, like, if you're, if you're going to sing along with it, you're going to be like, you're not going to sing it in your own voice. You're going to go, I'm just a teenage baby. Yeah. Right. Yep. And and then you're going to sing, you're going to wish you can get a hula hoop. And, <laughs> but no, I listening to this made me made me laugh because, bef- again, before I knew what year this, this record came out, I was reminded of a, a clip from Metalocalypse where the band hires this other band to manage. And they're called Get The Heads. And Nathan Explosion goes, oh, wait a minute. You're one of those rap rock bands with a DJ <laughs> and rap lyrics. And the guy goes, that's right, man. He goes, yeah, somebody tell this band what year it is, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. That was another thing, too. was like I'm looking at the video of a teenage dirtbag, and there's our friend BBB on guitar and vocals. There's a bass player. There's a drummer. And then there's a bongo player. I just remember going to you know going to bars in the '90s and stuff like that, and going to open mic nights. And as soon as somebody walked in with bongos, I walked out. It's like no, no, you're not a bongo player. No band has a freaking bongo player. Well, you're a friend. Okay, so- you're a friend of the band, and they feel bad for you. <laughs> let me let me <laughs> say this. You know, at my time, I only had a couple of days where I was in this band, just like you, just like every other person in the United States, apparently. Because if you look at the list of people who have been in this band, it's like 25 people that have been in and out of this band. So uh, uh, they probably accidentally hired a bongo player. (laughs) What'd you say you do? Oh, yeah. Come on in. Come on. Come on. And all of a sudden, like, why is this guy here? Like, who brought the bongo guy in? (laughs) Or more likely, who brought the bongo guy in? And... Then they throw him out. Alvin, get him out of here. You know? And they are very, very, like, very 90s. Like, you look at them, they'll look. Our friend BBB in the video, he's got a series of different bucket hats on. He's wearing what kind of looks like sports jersey. He's, he looks like 1998. He just does. You know, you know what I think of when I hear this song now? This is a song that I would hear if I was walking around at a state fair. And I would be like, hey, I recognize this yeah. band. I can't. And then, oh my God, really? It is. It's Weedus. Wow. I was like, let's go get some funnel cakes. <laughs> I, I guess Weedus is still, or at least uh, Triple B there is still active uh, to this day. What happened with the, the, with the song Teenage Dirtbag is the master tapes actually got destroyed. So they couldn't like license it out to things like rock band and stuff like that, you know. So they were right. they were missing out on that that video game money. So he actually or <laughs> we were somewhere. He was like, "Oh, uh, these are the weirdest master tapes, huh? Yeah, we're gonna digitize these so we can put. It- oh, sh- oh, look at that! They fell into a blah bottomless. Yeah, pit. don't leave them near the ashtray. Whatever you do." <laughs> 
So, uh, but what they did was they actually got the original lineup back together and re-recorded the song as best they could to the original. So much so that when they uploaded the video to YouTube, it got flagged for copyright infringement because nice. it sounded that much like the original. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's cool. It's like, uh, and I guess it's not super unusual to go back and re-record stuff. Sometimes it's for rights yeah. reasons, and sometimes it's not. Yeah, that's a that's a funny yeah, story. Like, no, no, really, this is us. <laughs> <laughs> it's we own the copyright. We're the yep. band. It's we just official. Can't you see that? Yeah. All right. So before we wrap up the show, I do have my trivia question. All right. So the trivia question was, what is Prince Charles' surname? And it's not Windsor. See, this, I'm, I'm wording it very carefully, and I don't want to say his last name. What is Prince Charles's surname? So you guess Windsor because he's from the House of Windsor, and that is a, right. a a very good guess. However, his last name is officially nothing. He does not have a surname or a, or. What's his nickname? Is it Chucky? <laughs> yeah, his last Chuckles? name as, as uh, that's why I'm careful how I say it. His last name would be George because his name is Charles Philip Arthur George, but as far as surname yeah. goes. The close. Well, his father was King yeah, George. So the closest sense. that you would find to a last name would be Mountbatten, which was his father's name, and then hyphenized with Windsor, because that's that's his parents' quote unquote surname. I think I should get half a point for that, Bill. Hyphenated half. You a get point. A ha- well, that would be the closest to his last name, but even that isn't his. What would be his last name? Because he could also be known. Prince uh, Prince of Wales. Yeah, his uh, last name could Charles also Prince be Wales. Wales. Yeah, uh, which was like a big point of contention because that's like his children's unofficial last name. You know, because uh, Prince William and Prince Harry don't have surnames either, but their unofficial surname is Wales, and that was like a big point of contention. Like he he actually pitched a pretty big fit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, poor guy. He is beyond the age of retirement, and he hasn't even started doing the job he was born to do yet. Yep, that's what happens when you've got long-term people who won't retire. Yeah, shit, get off the pot, ma. <laughs> All right, but that is going to wrap up this week's episode of Twibbly. We will see you back here in roughly seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. You can find us and message us on Instagram and Facebook using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Make sure you spread the word and tell all your friends about the Twibbly podcast. Dan Quayle never listened to Twibbly, and look what happened to him. <laughs>